What's going on, guys? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges podcast. I'm your host, Evan Transu, a.k.a. Mr. Health Coach Ev. If you guys don't know what's going on and you're listening to this in February 2020, then you are in the midst of a jam-packed month. We've been releasing multiple episodes every single week, about two to three right now. All awesome people, awesome guests. Um, 100% of the episodes are interviews too, which is really cool. So there's no me hopping on the podcast and just doing my random rants like I sometimes do. Uh, Everything's been with guests and interviewees. So really powerful month. A lot of the people that I'm talking to, including the person uh, we're about to interview, uh, I don't actually know their stories. So it's really been inspiring for me and um, almost fun just getting to hear all these different stories and learning so much about people and you know hearing the things that they've done and overcome. So um, I've enjoyed that a lot. Also, if you have been wondering, and maybe this is your first time tuning into the podcast in a while, uh, the Overcoming Mental Health Challenges book is officially out and live on Amazon. Just go to Amazon and search either Evan Transu or Overcoming Mental Health Challenges, How I Resolved 13 years of mental health issues naturally. So um, that's been a fun project. Glad to finally have that done. I'm not going to lie, but it's like one of those things where I might end up doing another one in the future, maybe just collab with someone. I'm not sure, but for now, just glad to have that out. And thanks for everyone who's been kind of supportive with my million times of changing the release date because um, writing a book, it was a lot more difficult than I thought. So without further ado, we're going to jump into it. Tonight, we have uh, Deanna with us. So um, again, this is one of those stories where I haven't heard this yet. So I love kind of being involved with the interviews when um, it's a totally authentic interaction and just, you know, hearing these things for the first time. So um, Deanna, thanks so much for coming on tonight. Hey, Evan, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So we always start the podcast with the exact same question. Um, And we do this just to get like, I'm almost doing like a little anecdotal <laughs> study with it, just trying to figure out, you know, how many people, the mental health issues that they dealt with started super young, and then how many for mm-hmm. others, like this stuff didn't happen at all when they were young. So the question we start out with is, you know, what was Deanna like as a kid? And when I say kid, I mean, you know, anytime from, I mean, birth technically all the way up to like 11, 12 years old, like what was going on during that time? And if it was only good stuff, I mean, feel free to share that as well. Yeah, so I think that's actually a really great way to jump into this. Uh, So I would say that pretty much for the most part, I had a quote unquote normal childhood. I say the quote unquote, because what really does that mean? What is normal? Um, (laughs) Well, you know, from the outside looking in, I think everything looked great. I always had a lot of friends growing up, um, played a lot of sports growing up. I played softball, I played basketball for a lot of years, I ran track, played sports in high school. Like I was always an athlete. If I wasn't at like a practice or a game, I was probably just like hanging out with my friends or family. Um, my family's pretty close, uh, always was, still is to this day. Everyone lives close by, grew up in the suburbs of Philly. Uh, my grandparents lived next door. My cousins were all really close. So it was like every week, every weekend we were getting together, seeing each other. Uh, So really good, strong family life. I always pretty much did well in school too. Um, Really never gave my parents any problems that I can think of. Um, Nothing major. Nothing really bad, I would say, happened in my life. Like To be honest, go ahead, go ahead. 
No, no worries. That's, see, that's why I always ask because it's just like interesting. Like it's almost 50-50 at this point where some people are just like, yeah, no, everything's like cool at that time. And then I mean, I've had people on where they were experiencing anxiety at like four years old. And I'm just, it's just, it's, I like to show people so much about of this podcast is about one, encouraging people to get help and inspiring people, you know, through stories like yours. Um, and mm-hmm. then two, just kind of ending the stigma. Like there's no stereotypes with this stuff. It can affect anyone. It can happen at any time. Um, that's just what I like to get at. So, um, no, and I appreciate right. all the background details because normally <laughs> with that question, like a lot of people just, they really just go one little way. Um, I don't think I've had anyone mention their family ever. I'm just like, yeah, these are parts of like childhood, you know, <laughs> <laughs> aspects of the question. So um, that's cool. And you said like you were a good student and stuff like that. Did I mean, did you enjoy school? Was that something that you did or is that just like, all right, I'm just like every other kid where it's like, I have to be here. Yeah, no, I was just kind of there. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it wasn't something that I was excited to do. I was way more into my sports and my friends, but like, I, I never really had problems, I guess, with, with school. Always did well. Never was, like, at the top of my class or anything. But, like, always did good enough to get by and, you know. Sure. So w- we'll jump right to it then. I mean, when was the first point then in your life, like, maybe age range and stuff like that, that whatever stuff that you dealt with started to kind of, like, come on? Like, what was the first time you are like, okay, something's kind of changing? Yeah. So I will say that even though everything, I guess from the outside looked normal growing up, I always just felt like something about me was different. Like something felt off and I didn't really know what it was. And I never really explained it to anyone or had the verbiage to do so, but it just felt like things were different. I can remember being really young and just having these negative thoughts in my head. And I didn't know why. And like negative thoughts about myself, about my body, um, And I I do think that I had this underlying depression and anxiety from really as young as I can remember. Okay. But interestingly enough, I had no idea um, until I was an adult, until I started therapy and started talking about it and was like, oh, it's not normal to have thoughts of suicide when there's a minor inconvenience in your day. Because to me, that, that was just a normal thing. And that was just kind of how I thought everyone else thought. I thought it was normal to have thoughts of suicide. And so I was just kind of going about my life thinking like, do this is just what everyone's thinking and really just had no idea of these underlying issues that were going on at the time. Wow. So because, yeah, that's how I think that seems to be a similarity that a lot of people have. I mean, that's pretty, I didn't realize that, you know, I don't think I've ever had like a thought like that and was like, mm-hmm. okay, um, this is all right. But I can relate to that in terms of just mental health issues in general, because yeah, especially when you're young, if you're dealing with some type of anxiety or dealing with some type of what we you know, would now eventually realize is depression. If you don't have anything else to compare it to yeah, you really don't think about it. Um, and if you were able to maintain still those relationships with friends and family overall well enough, I guess like, yeah, why would you even question that this is a thing? It's just like, okay, this has gone and going through my head. Right. And I mean, looking back, I think that if something bad were to have happened in my life, that maybe a lot of those underlying things would have presented themselves. But they really never did for a lot of years, just because everything else on the outside was so good. Um, So all that stuff kind of stayed, stayed in. But it wasn't until I was 16 in high school when those things started to come out a little bit more. And again, it wasn't really anything bad that was happening. It was just a time in my life where you know, you're, you're 
16, you're a junior. Some things are changing in life. Maybe you're starting Mm -hmm. to date, you're looking into colleges, you're getting a job, whatever. All these things start changing. And it was the first moment where I started to really not like what was going on on the outside for me. And then it started to feel like my life was out of control. And so then I started to look for really any way to take back that control. And how I did so for me was with food. I started becoming really obsessive with food. I started just cutting, started off small, just cutting certain things out of my diet. Then I was cutting entire food groups out of my diet. Then I was cutting entire meals out of my diet. So kind of progressed on like that. And I later learned that that was called restricting and that I was developing an eating disorder, which interestingly enough was not from anything really bad that happened in my life. It was just this feeling of out of control and kind of just wanting to focus on the food so that I didn't have to focus on these other things that were going on in my life at the time. Okay. And yeah, I have two things there. So one is I always talk about, and this is not clinical, obviously, I think there's something similar to it in clinical terms, but this is just the simple terms I use for myself and most of the listeners out there. I always explain to people what I call the difference between circumstantial and non-circumstantial mental health issues. And I try to explain to people how, you know, my friend, for example, well, it's, you know, it's a random friend. It's not a real friend. We'll call it Bill. You know, Bill can have anxiety and depression from a traumatic event or series of events that happened to him when he was younger. And I can also have anxiety and depression with very similar symptoms that, you know, and I never had a traumatic event or series of traumatic events. So, like, based on that, are you kind of saying that if, you know, those were real words and terms, are you saying that you would fall more into that non-circumstantial type of category where like, I don't have a rhyme or reason for this. That's clear. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely would. Uh, Especially with the depression and, you know, it doesn't even make sense for to be that young and to, you, you don't even understand the things that are even happening in your life for them to be then causing your depression. Um, so I, I do think there's a little bit of a genetic component um, with me and you know, my mom had anxiety and had a little bit of depression. My grandma had anxiety. And so I think there's a little bit of that in there as well. Sure. OK. Well, yeah. And that's what I always say, because, you know, I mean, obviously, I know that enough about even though you're interested in medicine and so am I. And it's like, yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. anything that we do get, it has to be at least somewhat genetic. Right. Like, clearly, I yeah. have the genetic potential for it. Um, <laughs> so that makes sense. But, yeah, I only ask because I actually. I've been surprised with some of the interviews that I've done, how many people have fallen into that circumstantial category. Cause when I'm talking to the lay person, I talk to non-circumstantial people all the time. Like these people that just, Hey, I feel bad and I don't know why. Um, so that's really interesting to get someone else like that on the podcast. Now, my second part with the question I wanted to ask is we haven't had a ton of eating disorder type stuff on here. Um, We had, you know, uh, one lady, Janelle, um, she was on very early when this started. Um, Great episode if you guys want to check that out. And she more refers to that as kind of like disordered eating. Um, And it's not just a play on words. She said seriously, like, listen, you know, I I used a therapist. I never really had a a true eating disorder. I just kind of became a little, um, you know, I was getting towards, I was going down that path kind of. And recently we had someone on, and this is just something that, even for someone in the mental health space, like I am, it's a really foreign thing for me. And I don't understand a lot of it. So a lot of people though, that I've talked to have talked about this aspect of control with the food and things like that. I always thought this was more of, um, and forgive my ignorance, but I always thought this was stemmed more with body image, but the Mm -hmm. terms that I keep hearing come up is this control. So what do you like, what was that 
why is why food? I guess why is food the thing that people go to? Do you think for that control or to or to get that feeling of control back in their life? Mm-hmm. I think you made some excellent points, and I think that there is a lot of. Um, misconceptions with eating disorders. And we do think that a lot of it stems from this like drive to just be thin and be pretty. And really when it comes down to it, you know, a lot of what was going on at this time had nothing to do with food. It had to do with just not liking the way that I was feeling inside, not knowing how to cope with emotions, how to deal with things. Like no one ever taught me how to express feelings. And so now all of a sudden I'm feeling this way that I don't like. And I think it's kind of the same when people turn to drugs or turn to alcohol. You know, it's kind of an escape. It's a way to focus on something else so that you don't have to focus on the things that you don't like or the emotions that you don't know how to express. I think for me, the reason why, I know your question was, well, why food? Uh, I think it was just easier to do that um, than to get my hands on alcohol or drugs or at the time, you know, I wasn't really in a social group that was drinking or that was using drugs at all. So just that kind of probably never crossed my mind um, at that age. And so that's probably why it manifested a little more with eating. Okay. Got it. Yeah. And again, it's just something, I mean, I'm going to continue to learn about, um, but I'm going to guess if someone like me, who's actually into this uh, space has ignorance i'm gonna guess a lot of people unfortunately do so that's why i appreciate you asking like those or uh, answering those questions because the topics that i don't hear about much is i really like to dive into them um a little more so okay you're 16 and now this is starting to uh, you're noticing hey this is a little more of a thing that's happening in my life um what else was kind of going on i know you mentioned or like alluded to like anxiety or depression was there anything else happening in those maybe like late teenage years i'll say 16 to the end of high school actually how about that um other than the eating disorder or was that the main focus of what was going on in terms of mental health it was probably both the depression and the eating disorder. I've always had a little bit of underlying anxiety, but the depression, I think, really started to surface more in high school where I was getting more critical of myself, having a lot more negative thoughts, a lot more self-hate. Uh, it was probably these years where I was comparing myself a lot more to other people um, and just finding ways to feel not good enough really, um, compared to other people. And so I was dealing with a lot of this self-hate and and starting to have more of these thoughts of thoughts of suicide and not really knowing why. And then, um, once the eating disorder started, that kind of just took a life of its own and it got pretty bad pretty quickly. Uh, But I don't think I was really in tune with that. It was more so the other people around me that were noticing it at the time. And I I was always lying to my family and saying, oh, yeah, like I always eat when I'm at school and lying to my friends being, oh, yeah, like I always eat when I'm home. And then um, it was actually my best friend who was finally the one that said something to my mom. And then when those two worlds kind of came together, that's when it just blew the cover on everything that was happening. And that was the point of my life where I finally started to get help for these things that I was dealing with. Okay. Wow. Because that was actually my next question is always like, um, and I ask this to everyone because the moment we realize that something's going 
you know, a little off course versus the moment we get help is almost never the same moment. Um, that's what I found, at least in, in all of these talks and the countless people I've talked to. I actually don't think I've ever met someone that the exact moment, like, OK, I feel something off. You know, I get help for this. And I think that's one thing that all of us who have been through these types of things want for other people, because if we had just nipped this in the butt right away, it's like, OK, well, this could have been probably a lot less um, severe. So what like what exactly happened with that? Like your friend basically went to your mom. Is that like she just kind of said, hey, you know, I'm worried about Deanna. Yeah. And so I'm sh- I am remember at the time, plenty of times people being like, hey, like, are you OK? Is something going on here? But every time I was like, oh, I'm fine. Like, you know, I didn't want to talk about it. Uh, but then my friend who had been my best friend since we were really young, she was the person that was like, all right, I know something is going on. Something is up. And yeah, and she just went to my mom and was like, hey, Deanna, I noticed she's not ever eating when we hang out. She's not ever eating when we're at school. My mom was like, well, that's interesting because Deanna is also never eating when she's at home or when we're doing things. And that was when my mom finally took me to a doctor who right away diagnosed me with an eating disorder. And I was very much in denial of like, you know, what is that? At the time, prom was happening at school. A lot of other girls at school were quote unquote dieting. So I'm like, well, how come they get to do it? And then when I do it, I get sent to the doctor. Right. Um, sure. that was very confusing in my 16 year old brain. And then I I was eventually sent to a therapist who diagnosed me with anorexia um, and then quickly sent me to a treatment center because I was not um, compliant with my therapy at all and was quickly sent into a program. Um, And that was really when I started to get the help that I needed. Okay, what happened in the like treatment center? Like, do you have to stay there overnight, or do you just go on a weekly or daily basis? Like, how does that? I haven't had anyone on like that yet. I don't think. Yeah, so so there's different levels. Um, so if you well, for me, I've in initially, excuse me, started out with just doing three nights a week. So you go to school during the day, come home and do that. Um, and then if it, that's not working, you can get bumped up to a day treatment where you go during the day, it's kind of like school, honestly, like five days a week, you're there for breakfast and lunch, then you go home after. Um, And for me, I I progressed through the programs where the night one wasn't working, then the day one just still wasn't clicking for me. And then I eventually went into a residential treatment center, which is where you do live there. And and so I lived at that one um, for about a month. And for me, just wasn't really motivated at all. I think for me too, just like didn't have enough understanding of what was going on. I didn't understand my mental health at all. And so it was really hard to put in the work or to see any progress when I was just not motivated. Um, I I don't think it was a waste of time, even though I didn't get better at that stay in treatment. Um, I was learning things about myself that I didn't know. For instance, I was learning that I'm a perfectionist, that like, that's a thing. (laughs) Um, I'm someone that has a lot of anxiety when I can't do things perfectly. I was learning that I had depression. Like I actually had to learn that. No, I I didn't know that. I always had this idea in my head of what a depressed person was. And to me, it was someone that just sat in bed all day or someone that cried all the time. And you know, that was so that's exact (laughs) words. Well, uh, forgive me. You're 24 as well, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know you were too. (laughs) Yeah. People. So I try to explain, especially like, you know, if I'm in a school or something like that, like, I, we're not old, right? That, that's what's tough. Like, we're 24. We're I'm not old, old people. But mental health awareness has come so 
far in the last oh God, you know, yes. few years, let alone five, 10, 15. I mean, give me a break. I use those exact words. I say crying my eyes yeah. out, laying in bed all day, um, withdrawing from friends and family. I thought those were like requirements. <laughs> um, and I never really thought about depression to begin with. So, yeah. Right. <laughs> That's so funny that you say literally the same exact thing, but it is so true. Like, and I always relate it to like growing up and you see commercials for antidepressants and it's always like someone crying or someone like looking out the window and it's raining. It's never like the person like out there playing basketball or like hanging out with their friends. <laughs> Correct. A hundred percent. So I, I really just didn't think that I had it until I finally learned that, oh, okay, I have high functioning depression. I can go do all those things and still be depressed, still be miserable. And not really know why until I, it was starting to explain things for me for the first time. Like it wasn't just that I'm different or I'm weird. Like it was like, okay, these are actual names. These are actual <laughs> problems. Yes. And there's treatments for them. We can work through this. Okay. So that's good. So, all right. So it was, it definitely wasn't like the experience that changed everything, but at least getting those yeah. different things working in the mind. I mean, that's important in and of itself. So that's powerful. Um, right. I'm not trying to rewind, but. Um, I kind of, again, this is a topic that's particularly interesting to me just because, um, you know, I feel like the, um, I feel like I'm back in high school thinking I know what depression is. Right. And I'm like trying to learn about eating disorders. I probably have these same notions in my head right now that are just, you know, they can be true, but aren't a hundred percent true. What is, so your friends obviously were able to recognize, okay, you know, Deanna's not eating, um, when we're hanging out or at school, things like that. Are there any other things that, a friend could have possibly noticed that you were going through that would have led them to think something was wrong? Or was that kind of the main thing that would have been visible to them? I would say my mood at the time was definitely very irritable, which for the most part was never me. You know, I was always someone that wanted to make other people laugh, wanted to make other people feel good. And now all of a sudden was like very taken back and, not that I was necessarily mean to people. I don't want to say I was mean, but just like very snippy and very irritable a lot. So I know for sure that the people that were with me all the time, which were my friends that I was with at school, could have noticed a change in that as well, as well as the not eating. That was probably the most obvious thing that I'm sure anyone sitting at my lunch table was like, why is this girl not eating? Um, but the people that knew me well enough, I'm sure that was definitely a sign as well. Okay. Yeah. And I always... Um... I like to incorporate those things with everyone that we talk to just because I, it's, it's very tough to say, because I'm sure you obviously understand this. It's not our responsibility as a friend to get help for another friend or fix them or whatever. But mm -hmm. if we can do anything, this, if we're, if we're the difference between recognizing something and not like you're the perfect example of what I'm talking about, your friend mm -hmm. isn't sitting there trying to fix you or trying to be your therapist. She mm -hmm. saw something and said, okay, well, I'm going to tell Deanna's mom. And I'm sure you probably didn't like that at the time, maybe. Not at all. Absolutely. And that was like, looking back now, I'm like, that's exactly what I needed at that time was for someone to just do something like, and she even admitted like later talking to her about this. She was like, I didn't know anything about eating disorders. I had no idea what was going on with you. So, but I knew you and I knew that something was wrong with you. And so just that one step of her going to my mom made so much of a difference at that time, because who knows how much longer this could have gone on for had she not done that. Yeah, that's amazing. And that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You know, just that she helped bridge that one little gap that made a huge difference. And then that's it. Like, all right, cool. Like, you know, I'm here for support. I'm here as a friend, um, but we're not playing doctor or anything like that. So that's great. Um, <laughs> 
I don't want to get like, I mean, I guess too personal with it. But the one thing I always wonder is when someone is restricting, uh, especially the restricting part of eating disorders, because there's plenty of eating disorders that involve eating tons of food. Um, mm-hmm. wh- what do you feel like? I mean, physically, because I feel like it can't feel great to be doing that. Mm-hmm. Are there other symptoms that occur? Or are you just kind of so locked in to the world being around like controlling of food and diet and stuff like that that you don't even notice because i just imagine that someone has to feel like crap with yeah eventually (laughs) that's a great word to use to describe it you literally feel like crap all the time and you almost don't even care um i know even now like now that i'm in a much better place like Sometimes like I, I'm like really busy at work and I can't eat lunch. Like, you know, you're just like hangry and you're like miserable and like, you can't even stop thinking about the food. Like yeah. people are talking to you and you're like, oh my God, like I just want to go eat. Like that is your state constantly all day, every day. And it's so miserable and you're just nasty to people and you, you turn into a version of yourself that you never want to be. Um, and, and it really was this intense, intense preoccupation with food, with my weight, with my body. Like, even if I was out and doing something, I felt like I was never actually present because I was always in my head and I was always thinking about this. And if you really think about like parties that you go to or events or like any fun things in your life, there's typically food, right? Like, of course, any that's just that's human experience. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. People bond over that. You know, it's like, oh, it's your birthday. Let's go grab dinner. Like, let's go get a cake and all that. And so for me, food was becoming this huge sense of anxiety and stress for me. And so now all of a sudden, like all of these fun things just become so stressful and so miserable. And so it really just completely takes over your life. Okay. Got it. And yeah, I mean, I just, I never had really asked someone before, like, yeah, I mean, this has got to, because we know as humans, just if I were to drink, like I'm pretty good with my health now. Like I take that stuff like seriously. If I drank two sodas, for example, I'm going to feel like crap. I'm going to have this crazy high and then I'm going to crash. If I skip, you know, a whole two meals, that's going to change most people's mood. So I always, I mean, I feel uh, really bad for a lot of people that are dealing with this stuff. And I didn't know this until recently. I was listening to um, an anxiety summit. I did not know that the mental health disorder associated with the most fatalities is anorexia it is not any other thing it is anorexia that to me was shocking yeah yeah i actually um unfortunately this past summer had a friend from treatment pass away and and that's what she passed away from was from anorexia and i had people in my life being well well, i don't understand like well like what did she die from that like people don't even realize that like that is something that can kill you and it does have the highest mortality rate of any mental illness yeah that so yes i knew okay obviously well i should i shouldn't say obviously because many people don't know that um i was clear on okay that this can you know definitely lead to um fatality unfortunately i just that's something i never hear about i feel like that's not something that you put in the news i guess um or you just say you know this you know young lady or young man passed away and you never really talk about the fact that okay this is why it happened. So I never like really heard of anyone passing away from that, but for it to be the number one um, of mental health issues, I think that just, I hope for people listening, that just makes it real because it made it even realer for me. I was like, Whoa, that is scary that our minds can allow us to be in that place where we restrict so much. that I mean, we literally you pass away from it. I mean, that's, it's just, it's a horrible thing for uh, people to have to kind of go through, but getting to more of, I guess, um, the positive side and the turnaround and stuff. Um, correct me if I'm wrong. You had said earlier that 
therapy was the main thing that helped you uh, through this, correct? Yes, absolutely. Okay, so let's talk about, I mean, you know, you already went to the kind of treatment center more or less where you're doing that. And obviously, okay, that's not the best thing in the world, but you had a lot of different, like, um, some introspection. You were seeing things about yourself for the first time. Mm-hmm. And maybe that was a huge catalyst for why therapy was so effective. Who knows? Um, how did we get to therapy? And then let's talk about like, you know, what are some of the things that worked? Like, how did we get there first? Yeah. So after that stay in treatment, I went back to high school. Uh, I finally graduated, went away to college. And at that point, um, my depression and my eating disorder both just got really, really bad. Like it's, It was almost to the point where you're like, what is even worse? Like both were just so out of control. Um, and I, my eating disorder ended up actually changing at the time from just restricting to now restricting and binging. So just consuming very large quantities of food. Again, just another negative coping skill in my life. Um, and I actually ended up attempting suicide while I was away at college. And that was really the starter of me being like, okay, like I need to be serious about this. Um, that was my rock bottom. Um, and so I ended up going right back into treatment this time with a totally different mindset, this time so much more motivated and willing to make a change because I was seeing that my life was going nowhere living that way. Um, and so I ended up going into another treatment program where I met this therapist um, and she was someone that just we really clicked with. Um, I would say immediately. I had had so many therapists, maybe six, seven therapists leading up to finally getting her. Uh, and I didn't really make any progress with any of them. I, I never clicked with them. I never felt like they understood me. And you know, she was someone that I felt like not just that she understood depression well or that she understood eating disorders well, but I felt like she really understood Deanna. And that was just something that made all the worlds a difference to me. She was someone that I really trusted. I could open up with and share with her things that I was never telling anyone else at that time. And it was when I finally found a therapist like that, that I started making progress. Um, And that is something that I think is really important to mention because I hear people even saying to me like, oh, well, yeah, I tried therapy, but it just didn't work for me. And it's like, yeah, okay. It didn't work for me seven times until I found the one therapist that I really clicked with. Wow. Okay. So, Two things you touched on the fact that like this time you're going into treatment and stuff like that self motivated. And yeah, well, honestly, <laughs> because I don't like to be too blunt with this or discouraging to anyone. And that's, it shouldn't be discouraging. In fact, it should be encouraging, but there's two things that people need to know. One, you know, you cannot make someone get help that does not want to get help. You can make them go, but that does not mean that they're actually getting the help that they deserve. So I love that you touched on, all right, this time was different because now, Deanna wants to go and I know well maybe want is the wrong word but you know wants to change and and wants to see improvement which is great and then the other aspect is I always always express to people whether it's a therapist doctor or modality of healing like for me um, I know you don't know my story but it's a lot around like just natural holistic stuff that was my Mm -hmm. personal answer and well guess what it took years to figure that out and realize that that was the thing for me. So I, I love hearing stories like this because, you know, you, you stayed the course, you keep going, you keep pushing because, you know, eventually, hey, we're able to find something that works. And I really do believe that most people who just keep pushing through and this, of course, is easier said than done. I don't want to oversimplify that uh, for anyone. Um, it's hard enough to, you know, keep trying. 
<laughs> many people that try any new uh, thing in life, you know, if, you, if it fails four or five times, you never try it again, let alone when you're talking about something as serious as mental health issues. So what was it about? Well, I know you said that you connected with her on that level. So I guess mm-hmm. that's kind of we already answered that. What was some of the stuff in therapy that helped you the most? Maybe like techniques or just revelations that you had kind of in your own mind, like aha moments or things like that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that it was just the relationship that I had with my therapist that made me so successful in this therapy. I think it was also the type of therapy that she was doing. So she did CBT, which anyone doesn't know is cognitive behavioral therapy. Um, It's actually very highly recommended for eating disorders, especially anorexia. Um, And so it really was focusing on my thoughts, which was something that I didn't even realize was important up until then. And, you know, for me growing up, someone that always had these negative thoughts just playing in my head over and over and over, this allowed me the opportunity to really step back and be like, okay, what are you telling yourself every day? And how is that affecting these behaviors that you are doing? And so I was really learning the power of my thoughts, but not only that, the power that I had over them and my ability to kind of rewrite this tape that just played in my head all day, every day. And so once I started doing that, I started to notice, wow, now I'm doing these behaviors a lot less. And wow, now that I'm doing these behaviors a lot less, I feel a lot better. And so now I'm less likely to have all of these thoughts that were problematic to begin with. And so that really, I would say, I credit that type of therapy to me being able to make as much success as I have. You know, this wasn't just we were sitting there and, oh, how was your day? And how are your feelings? This was very structured. Like when I went into a session, I knew what we were talking about. I knew why we were talking about it. It Something that I felt like I really had a say in my treatment. And just the fact that it was very goal focused and I knew what we were doing was something that really resonated with me and really made therapy feel like a real thing that was going to make me better for the first time in my life. That's awesome. I got to have some therapists like sponsor this damn podcast because (laughs) you guys just bring so much cool insight into what therapy is i love how you said yeah it's not just like walking in hey like what are you feeling today or something like that like no guys this is a profession and these people know what they're doing um and they can really have a profound impact with the techniques that they have i i love the focus on um or how you brought up cbt and its focus on thoughts and stuff i know it sounds funny well it, it might not you i don't know what your thoughts are on these types of books and materials i had such a huge benefit from what people would call the quote-unquote self-help books and self-help genre and thing like things like that and i'm starting Mm -hmm. to realize well no crap i did like it's (laughs) it's a similar concept i'm not saying it's the same as getting a therapist similar concept though in that these books are talking about being aware of your thoughts being aware of how the thought process is leading you to do xyz thing in life and i think the techniques are one thing but just having that self-awareness of how what I'm thinking affects my daily life um, is super powerful. And I feel like for a lot of people and what you're describing, it seems like so much of the initial moment is just like being aware of the fact that, wow, this is all connected. Um, Am I right with that? Or I mean, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. And I think it's not really natural for a person to just be like, "Hmm, let me like analyze my thought process. Like (laughs) we're not just like naturally (laughs) doing that. (laughs) Um, So to have a, trained professional to kind of like guide me through doing that and really dissect like why am I acting out this way why am I so depressed why am I hurting myself by not eating and then by eating too much and 
know, to really dissect the meaning behind everything was such a catalyst into me getting better. And it does sound corny, but in changing my entire life. Awesome. Awesome. Now, um, I don't ever ask anyone specifics. You don't have to share that, um, like what type of uh, medication and things like that. But did you use any medication throughout this journey? Do you still use medication? Um, and again, I'm only guys, I always ask people beforehand, you know, if they're cool with certain questions, um, just for those that haven't listened before. Um, so that's why I'm kind of asking this one, but I haven't heard you say anything about that yet. So I'm curious. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I started medication when I first started treatment. Um, and a lot of medications didn't work for me. I tried a couple of them with no success, just having a lot of side effects and so I did this testing where you just like swab your mouth and send it in. And by looking at your DNA, they can figure out what medications you will respond to and which ones you won't respond to. And it was actually kind of funny because there was like a list of all the drugs that I am prone to having negative responses to. And it was literally everything that I tried so far. Wow. Um, and so I, for a lot of years, have been on a medication called Fetzema. Um, this isn't a plug for it. Medications can work for you. Some of them will work for you. Some of them will not. Um, but that was just the one that worked for me. And it worked for me for a lot of years. And I actually just last month um, with working with my therapist and my psychiatrist decided to slowly discontinue it just to see how I can be without my medication. Uh, so at the moment right now, I am not on medication. Wow. But continued it for a lot of years and like years where I was completely in recovery and feeling well and always still took my medication just you know that was just seemed like what it was working for me so I'm, I'm in a trial run right now <laughs> cool well that yeah that's awesome and I, I get I always just like to ask is um again these stories are all so unique I think well first of all that was interesting that you were using that type of technology um with your doctor for uh, the DNA testing and things like that, because I know that that exists. Um, but I know that that's, I mean, that's relatively new um, in, in recent history that this stuff's coming out. And I mean, it's a totally separate conversation, um, but I know me and you are both kind of nerds with this stuff. That is like <laughs> the future of medicine in all regards, not just mental health, like to be able to go in there and just say, oh, okay, you have, you know, XYZ disease or XYZ mental health issue. Oh, okay. This is what is most uh, likely to work for you. Um, mm -hmm. I think that is an amazing, amazing thing because you're right. I mean, it can be like a total turnoff. Um, I never ended up finding any medications that worked for me um, mm -hmm. other than, I mean, I have to say Xanax did work for my anxiety quite well, mm -hmm. uh, but it brought on a whole, a bunch of other side effects like the, and the SSRI, the antidepressant type things. I mean, those just really did not, uh, and do much of anything uh, for me. So it would have been yeah. so cool to have that where I can just be like, all right, well, this has a good chance of working for you. Um, and yeah, congrats on, you know, kind of trying it without it. That's really interesting. Um, I think that's the end goal for all of us. Right. Um, I've, it have, I haven't been told this in a while, but unfortunately, you know, when I got into the natural stuff several years back, people had kind of misinterpreted my messaging, uh, messaging for being like anti-medication. Um, and that's not never what it is, right? It's pro-relief. Um, and I don't think anyone wakes up and says, you know, I'd like to be on medication for the rest of my life. So when I talk about this stuff, I'm more talking about the system that tries to just put us on when sometimes we don't need it. Like, again, it didn't really work for me or keep us on when maybe we don't. So I think that's awesome that, I mean, you're doing like exactly what 
I think makes the most sense in this world of mental health. You know, you, you are doing something else other than just medication because it's more than just a deficiency in, you know, whatever you're taking right now. I can't even pronounce that. Um, <laughs> you know, it's more than that. Um, but yeah, let's use that so the person feels good while we work on the underlying stuff. I mean, that's just, I, I don't know why that seems like so much to ask, um, but I'm sure you know, that's not really how it goes with everyone's mental health story. Um, I had someone on that's going to be, oh shoot, I should know this, but I don't know if this is going to end up being released before or after yours. Um, she was on seven different medications at one point in her teenage years, like literally on them at the same time. And it wasn't uh-huh. working. And, and no one thought to say, hey, well, maybe we should like, you know, back up with this a little bit. <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's my soapbox with that. I apologize, everyone. But it, it, it is important. You know, we got to just keep trying different things. So um, that's cool that that did work for you and helped you out. And um, well, eventually, once you got the right one. And that's also interesting that you're taking this um, kind of approach with it. Was that your idea? Or was that the idea of the therapist and the psychiatrist? Um, It was my idea, because you know, I always kind of, I feel like thought like, okay, I guess I'll just be on this forever. But then it got to the point where I was like, well, now I'm eating intuitively. I exercise, I can manage my stress. Like I have all these other things that I'm doing right now. I wonder if I do even still need it. And so when I talked to my team and they said, oh yeah, you know, you're in a good place now to try it. If it, if it wasn't a good time, they would have been like, okay, no, we're waiting. Um, so this was definitely something that I did alongside the support of my psychiatrist and my um, psychologist. It wasn't just me being like, oh, I'm just going to try this out on my own. Uh, right. But, but it was my be. idea and they supported it. So I'm just giving it a try. And if for some reason I do still feel like I'm struggling while off it, I have made a deal with myself that I will just get right back on the medication and it doesn't say anything about me or, you know, just something that I might have to be on for the rest of my life if that's the case. And if so, that's okay. And so I'm just going to try it out right now, but it's not this black and white thing, which is something that I had to really make a deal with myself before just going off of it. Yeah, that whole thing, that's perfectly said. I, I couldn't express like kind of my viewpoint with that um, any more similarly. That's exactly uh, you know where I'm at with it. And that's cool that they were so supportive of the fact that like, hey, yes, let's do this properly, right? Like, yeah. um, and I love how you use them too, because some people, uh, I've heard stories like that, you know, they're like, oh, well, I'm just going to stop taking it on my own. And then if it works, I'll tell my therapist and psychiatrist, well, okay, no, <laughs> let's, let's maybe work with the people that know what they're doing. Um, that makes sense to me. So what are some, um, I'm, I'm usually with people in addition to the stuff that's more clinical, right? Like the therapy, like the medication, have you developed or learned any other habits that you have found, um, to be powerful in like your healing journey, whether it is, I mean, I know you already mentioned exercise, things like that. Like what are some maybe activities and habits or practices that you have now that you didn't have in the past? One thing for me that I have a habit of not doing, but then I always need to bring myself back to doing it, is journaling. I found that so helpful through my entire journey of being in treatment and um, even in high school. And I just find that so healing for me. And it allows me to kind of take a step back and just reevaluate, you know, what's been going on in my life recently or how am I feeling? And it like really forces me to do it when I am writing it down. So that's something that, and when I was in college, I got just, would get so busy with my life and just kind of forget to do it. But then I would always make a point like, all right, this Sunday morning, I am going to sit down and start journaling. And I really noticed this feeling 
almost like refreshed after doing it. Okay, cool. So people, I hear um, journaling, especially right now, I feel like is such a hot term. People say that. So I've never heard of, well, hypothetically, right? I've never heard of this before. I'm listening to this. I'm like, all right, I like this Deanna girl. She seems cool. I want to start journaling. What does that literally mean? Like, what am I putting in my journal? Uh, I feel like this would probably look different for everyone. But for me, first of all, it is the sloppiest handwriting of all time. And I'm not even trying to make it like I'm not trying to make this look pretty or sound nice or even sometimes be a complete sentence. It's just like whatever is going on in my head, I just put it down on the paper. Um, And then sometimes I will write it all out, just whatever thoughts I'm having or like analyzing things. And maybe I've been feeling a certain way in this one relationship in my life or even just like feeling grounded in what am I doing right now in terms of school and my future and just getting it all out at one time and then kind of go back and reading and dissecting it and it kind of just allows me to make sense of my life in that moment you know I I can get very wrapped up in my day-to-day over and I'm going to go to this thing and I'm doing work like there's just so many different things going on Um, and so for me it's not like this whole structured thing it's honestly just whatever thought i have gets out on the paper and it looks a complete mess and it helps me a lot <laughs> awesome all right cool thanks when you were talking about exercise like what does that look like for you where what are the activities or specific types of exercise that you enjoy kind of the most mm-hmm. uh well for me i guess being in recovery from an eating disorder for me it's not anything rigid at all. It's not like I'm going to go certain days of the week. I'm going to go for this amount of hours. It's just something that I like to do to feel good. And I do think it helps a lot with my depression and my mood. And so one thing that I love doing, and everyone makes fun of me for this, but I love riding my bike. They say I sound like a little kid that like, (laughs) likes to go out and ride their bike with their friends, but I love cycling. I would do it every single day if I did not live in Pennsylvania. And I just put in my headphones and just go fly around the neighborhood or go to a park or a trail or something. And that, again, is another thing that just allows me to clear my head and feel good. And it's not something where I'm like really focusing on how many hours did I do or how many calories did I burn? It's absolutely none of that. It's just movement to make me feel good. And I stop whenever it starts to not feel good. <laughs> okay, got it. And well, that's specifically why I asked because I know that typically, yes, someone that has dealt with, um, again, it's a whole set of behaviors rather than just, okay, a specific eating disorder just with food. It's a whole uh, categorization of different behaviors that have to do with stuff like that. So I knew exercise might look um, a little unique. And I like that. That's almost like intuitive exercise, doing it for fun. And anyone that hates on biking, um, they can talk to me as well. I bought a bike again about four years ago, and I have never looked back. I was like, why did I stop doing this after like 14 or 15? As soon as I got my license, that's when I stopped biking pretty much. You know, we used to bike around the neighborhood, have fun. I'm like, dude, this is the most relaxing, fun thing in the world. I go on like multiple. It's, it's not for like hardcore exercise, but I just enjoy it so much that I actually have this one. Um, I like this one, like health food store. They have smoothies, whatever. I, I will bike all the way to it. It's like 15, you know, 20 miles away. Uh, and mm-hmm. I'll just go biking for hours. And I just enjoy that. I love it. Um, definitely a little more enjoyable in the summer, like you had uh, kind of mentioned with the Pennsylvania, you know, winters <laughs> and stuff like that. But yeah, there's something, it is like, it's just, um, I don't know how to describe it. It's something that's like, you're just doing just enough activity that you kind of get into almost like this flow state. It's similar to like driving almost, you know, 
where mm-hmm. all right, you, you kind of have to be concentrated, but you know, you could still get in your own head. And that's how I always experience it. I mean, hours just go by um, when I'm biking. So that's cool. I, I like that. But yes, people kind of like, yeah, what, what, what are you doing? Because if you're not like a real cycler, you know, with the spandex on and all this, right. gear, then you're, yeah, you're just a little kid. And it's like, no, dude, like I'm biking, like, give me a break. I have no shame. I put my helmet on. I go out there. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> All right. So we have the biking and journaling. Are those two of the main things or would you have, um, do you have anything else that you think people should know about? Um, Honestly, like just whatever works for you, whatever can like clear your mindset and get you out of those, that funk or these negative thoughts that you're having or a depressed mood, whatever it is. For me too, music is something that has always, always helped me. Um, even like when I'm driving, when I'm at home, when I'm cooking, when I'm eating, like, I feel like I love to just have music on in the background, especially like feel good music. I feel like when I was in a bad place, I would always listen to really sad songs. And so I make a point to not do that anymore. (laughs) And so I put on nice music and have that on in the background. I feel like that's something that really helps with my mood. Um, And so that's probably another big thing that I use. Uh, Hanging out with my friends, calling up a friend is something that I make sure to do if I find myself in a bad place also but even just if I'm not in a bad place like making an effort to be social I'm definitely an introvert and have always been an introvert so um, kind of forcing myself out of that is very helpful for me as well nice I mean yeah you come across like I honestly wouldn't have guessed that um so that's pretty that's cool I like obviously the ideal thing someone should have is like balance and um I love like I'm a nerd I know people that don't really take this stuff seriously, but I love like Myers Briggs or whatever. I totally would have um, <laughs> typed you as an expert. So that's interesting. Um, no, not at all. Okay, but that's cool. So I, and I hope people don't underestimate what you just said about the music thing, guys. What we're putting like in our ears and in our minds uh, that matters. And yeah, I, I had the same kind of. I guess like uh, that was a mini aha moment for me, where I was like, I feel sadder when I listen to sad music, um, I don't know what it is that we do as humans. We're like, yeah, like I want to listen to it if I feel bad. Right. But I know it mm-hmm. kind of makes me feel worse. So it, it's this weird um, thing that we do, but yeah, if you, if you can turn that off and just put on some positive stuff and you can definitely tell a change in your state. So um, that's really cool. I think those are all three really practical uh, tips that anyone can do. I will technically four cause you mentioned the friends as well. So I, I mm-hmm. love having that stuff in here because anyone um, can go and do those things. So we're kind of getting to, um, you know, I'll, I'll start wrapping things up here a little bit. One of the mm-hmm. things I always like to kind of ask as one of the last questions is what is something that you would say to Deanna, if you could go all the way back, let's use 16 as the example. Um, what would, what kind of advice would you give her if you could talk to your old self? Wow. Big question. <laughs> I like them. Yeah, I like loaded questions. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Um, I guess if I could talk to my younger self, one would just be that it gets better because that was something that I like being someone that had depression probably their entire life. I couldn't even see a future. Like I couldn't imagine being an adult. I couldn't imagine ever going to college or like getting married or like all those things just seemed like not attainable for me. So just like to know that a better life is out there and is possible, just like being possible. I think that's all I wanted to know at that time, especially at like my deepest and lowest moments. I didn't want to know that it was going to be easy to get better. I just wanted to know that it was possible. 
And I didn't have anyone in my life that was going through what I was going through or like was talking about it at least. And so to me, I felt like I was like this black sheep. And so just to know that these things are normal, dealing with mental health problems in your life is really, really common. Um, and that you can live a normal life after going through it. And I, there's much better results than just having to manage your symptoms. I actually had a teacher when I was um, in undergrad who said, you know, people with mental illnesses, they just have to learn how to like manage. I was like, wow, that's really not motivating. Like if I was at my first (laughs) therapy session and they were like, the rest of your life is going to be you managing. I was going to be like, that sounds awful. Goodbye. Like no way. And so just to know that you can have a happy and fulfilling life after struggling so deeply with your mental illness is something that I would really like for my younger self to know. And I would also tell her girlfriend, you got to get very comfortable being uncomfortable because there's going to be a lot of hard work coming up in your future. Um, and to kind of just push through it and the barriers and everything are going to be working through all of that is so difficult. But then once you get through it, it gets less difficult and less difficult and less difficult. And then it just starts to become your norm. And so to really be resilient, to push through all of the tough times, have perseverance and, you know, start to develop goals. That was something that I never thought was important in life, but to just have a goal, to have something that you're looking forward to, something that you're working on that can make a huge difference in your mental state. Um, And so to challenge yourself to get out of your safe zone, push yourself and and start working through those barriers. Nice. That was epic. That's totally, um, I love doing like 30 to 60 second excerpts, like previews, like for Instagram (laughs) posts and things like that. Um, And I always make those for the guests if they want to use it on their, um, you know, wherever they're at, whatever. And that's totally getting used as the one for this episode. That was awesome. Um, (laughs) It's just heartfelt advice, you know, and um, I think a lot of people need to hear that because one thing that you were kind of saying is if you knew that there's a finish line, like you can get better, then it's amazing what human beings can go through, right? I think Mm -hmm. what happens to so many of us with mental health issues is that, yes, the finish line, the light at the end of the tunnel is nowhere in sight and we don't even know if it exists. And that can really, you know, it just adds to every other thing that we're going through. So that was awesome. Um, Second to last question is there, and this could be like totally off the topic of this moment, but is there anything that I missed? I just didn't ask the right questions. Are there any things that you just wanted to say in general um, about mental health issues that we didn't kind of get to? Um, And there might not be some people just, yeah, (laughs) some people we hit everything we needed to hit. I mean, I I feel like you hit a lot. The only other thing that I was thinking off of what I was just saying is something that I feel like I need to get this tattooed on my body somewhere because I think this has been so important for me was something that my therapist used to always say to me um, years ago was that, Deanna, avoidance maintains fears. Like you literally have to do the things that you are scared of to get out of that place and to get a better life. And that is something that has stuck with me so much along the way. That's not something that I thought you were ever going to ask me, which is something that I feel like was important to um, throw out there for me. Like growing up, my absolute biggest fear was public speaking. It terrified me. I would have anxiety attacks anytime I ever had to speak. Um, And now speaking is my job. Like I literally turned the thing that I was most scared to do into something that I now do all of the time professionally. 
And so, you know, I'm not saying you have to make the thing that you're most scared of your job, but, you know, I'm saying that life can become just a lot more freeing and you can feel so much more empowered once you get through those barriers in your life and start doing the things that you are most scared to do. I think that's just something that I like to share with anyone that I'm talking to about this stuff. So I just wanted to throw no, that in there. That's awesome. <laughs> Uh, 50% of the time, I don't get an answer to that question. The other 50%, I get like the most passionate little tidbit. Um, and that's why it's always worth asking. Cause it's just like, I always get something that means a lot to someone um, yeah. when we, we ask that. So, okay. Well, my final question then is, you know, where are you at now? Like what's going on? What are some of the goals that you just have for life and, and what's happening in your life right now? Yeah. Um, so I applied to medical school a couple of months ago. Uh, and so right now I'm waiting to hear back on that. I currently work as a scribe, which not many people know what that word is, but you write down all of the notes for a doctor. So I work uh, for a family doctor. I'm also very involved in the mental health world. I go around speaking at a lot of schools um, to raise awareness on all of the things that we just talked about today. I'm very big on sharing my story on really right now, just hoping that I can get into a school uh, and become a physician at some point in the near future. That's awesome. I think that's definitely, um, I just can, I don't know. I'm like, uh, I can feel like energy sometimes. And I definitely think that's the route that you're supposed to be going. So um, I'm Thank sure that's going to work out. And I am a little mad because I did not know what a scribe is. So um, no, one does. I learned something new tonight. That's good. <laughs> I'm just the typer, they say. <laughs> All right, guys. Cool. So um, that was our interview with Deanna. Guys, listen, if you're out there right now and you're listening to these interviews and this is like you know the fifth, sixth, seventh one you've listened to, um, I'm just asking how many do you have to hear before you start the journey yourself? You know, we have so many people on this podcast that have been through so much so many different stories, different backgrounds, circumstantial, non-circumstantial. And all of these people have been able to eventually, by starting the process, and it's not easy. No one has gotten on here and said it's easy, um, but it was worth it. And, you know, their lives were better because of it um, in the end. So I'm just asking, you you know, if, if you're listening to this, please make this one of the last days that you do this alone. You don't have to be um, in this by yourself and you could start the process and yeah, it's going to be a little tough in the beginning. And then it is going to be awesome at the end. Um, no one has ever gotten on here and said that they regretted starting the process of help. Never has that happened. So, um, if you're looking for the inspiration tonight, I hope you were able to find it, um, here. If not, check out a few more interviews. So guys, you've been listening to the overcoming mental health challenges podcast with your host, Evan Trantu, AKA health coach Ev. Um, and our wonderful guest tonight, Deanna. Um, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next week. Have a good one.